we are uh, near, well, it's going to be what, quite a while before we finish the book of Ephesians. What we're going to start here in, uh, as we move to the last part, the walk of wisdom, I, we're going to be in that section for a couple of weeks. That's an incredibly important section. And as we move in chapter six, when we get to the, uh, what is usually called the whole armor of God, there's a lot of material there I want to deal with. But uh, we'll see how we, we do, but um, there's a lot I want to try to accomplish yet before we do, do the book of Ephesians. So we've got probably another four weeks, five weeks perhaps at the most. But we're in this section in chapter 5, verse 13, as Russ reminded me, <clears throat> in the, what is I call the walk of light, and get, we get that from the previous uh, couple of verses, where to walk in the light, not darkness, etc. But he begins, um, well, let me review real quickly that, 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 that walking in the light has those characteristics that you see, and I numbered them <clears throat> there uh, earlier in, in uh, the paragraph in verse 9 and, and 10 and so on, that to walk as children of the light and being able to discern what is pleasing to the Lord and then expose those works of darkness. I, I'm not going to review all of that, but that is, that is the essence of what he means in this walking in the light. And it reminds us of I, I think we reviewed that last, last week, but it reminds us of, of Jesus' words in John, uh, the Gospel of John, particularly, you have a long section on it, I am the light of the world. And then in, in Matthew chapter 5, at the end of the Beatitudes, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, therefore to you and me, uh, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, which describes metaphorically our ministry. Uh, as, as representatives of Christ, as ambassadors of him and his kingdom. And so with that said, then verse 12 uh, and, and verse 13, um, he says, It is shameful to speak of the things that are done in secret, meaning the works of darkness, in verse 11. Verse 12. Now verse 13, strong adversative. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And so he's further explaining something that I think is quite important. I believe he's talking about the lifestyle of walking in the light versus the lifestyle of walking in darkness. And so as we fulfill our covenant responsibility, new covenant responsibilities before the Lord to be his salt, to be his light, we are just by our actions, not only by our words, but by our actions, we're exposing darkness for what it is. And that, that's something you and I have to think about. We really have to, I do anyway, I have to meditate on what that means. And so if I go back to the Lord's, in, again in Matthew 5, at the end of the Beatitudes there in the middle of chapter 5, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. If we unpack those a little bit further, to be salt in the ancient world, and I, I know we have talked about this before, although the wealthy 10% um, of the Greco-Roman world might have used salt to enhance the flavor of food, that was not how most people would have understood it. Most people would have understood the function and purpose of salt to preserve. It was Meat was packed in salt, perishable uh, food was packed in salt, which slowed down deterioration, slowed, I mean, I don't think they understood it this way, but we do. It slowed down the growth of bacteria, all those kinds of things that spoil stuff. So now, now take that into the lifestyle. You are the salt of the earth. And if you look at the eight Beatitudes that Jesus lists in the previous paragraph in Matthew chapter 5, that's that radical lifestyle he's calling us to, to be peacemakers, to, you know, the we we are the we are the the people who don't create friction. We we help resolve disputes. We we don't create issues when we enter into a room or on a committee. We're, we're trying to resolve. We're trying to build consensus. I'm using one example, but that can be in the workplace. That can be in the church, and so wherever the church is, as they walk, as the church walks in light, we're preserving culture. We're preserving culture from further deterioration. We're preventing, we're slowing down that downward spiral. 
And then the other metaphor to be the light, which is what this paragraph in Ephesians 5 is talking about. That's what Paul, he just keeps enhancing it and further explaining it. Our lifestyle of walking in the light contrasts with walking in darkness, but it exposes darkness for what it is. It's deceitful. It's deceptive. It's duplicitous. It's harmful. It's self-destructive. I mean, you should go on and on and on. And so to add to this, he writes in verse 14, for anything that becomes visible is light. And then, <laughs> therefore, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, which is curious because that, that sounds poetic. Most expositors would argue that this is a baptismal hymn that it was used at the baptism of a believer, and it combines, and this is, is what is interesting, it combines several passages in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 primarily, but adding a nuance and word from 9, 2, and 26, 19. And the intent of this hymn, this, this baptismal rite, was to urge readers to get busy as children of God walking in the light. And so if, it, if that indeed is correct, it was used as a hymn or a poem or a reading or a lyric or whatever at the baptism of a believer, it is, okay, you now are publicly identifying with Jesus, which is what baptism is. You're publicly identifying with Jesus Christ. Now you are now have that new identity. You put your faith in Christ. You're now publicly identifying with Christ. You are now you are now to manifest that walk of light. And our actions and our words expose the darkness of Satan's kingdom for what it is. And so, I mean, this is to me, this is convicting. To me, this is really an important charge for you and me as believers. We have the responsibility to walk as children of the light. Walk means to live, that normal pattern of living. To walk as children of the light, and in doing it, we expose darkness for what it is. Let's be really theological. You expose Satan for what he really is. Evil, deceitful, duplicitous, sowing the seeds of self-destruction because Satan hates God and Satan hates God's image bearers and he delights in destroying both. And so for you and me, we have a new assignment and that is just, I'm trying to unpack this in many different ways. It, this is a powerful call <clears throat> for you and me as believers now as ambassadors and disciples of Jesus, this is part of our assignment. Okay? Thank you, Russ, for reminding where to start. Any, any questions? This isn't hard. I'm just trying to embellish it a little bit to make sure it's really driven home. Paul feels strongly about this, and you obviously can see that in what he's, what he's saying. <clears throat> All right, let's move then. And that just ties up the loose ends from last week. Let's move into the last and final part of this wonderful book of Ephesians. First three chapters, sound doctrine. Last three chapters, godly living. And I have argued that the, the sound doctrine produces godly living, which this chart summarizes. And so we're therefore, as you've seen this chart a million times now, but we're in this last segment of the book, which is the walk of wisdom, and it will take us up to the whole armor of God charge, which we'll get to in several weeks. So let's take a look at this. Um, and let me again call your attention to the term walk. That's our key word. It helps us to be able to outline accurately the thoughts of the Apostle Paul as he's writing this wonderful letter. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, connect verse 15 with the previous verse, previous cluster of verses about walking in the light, being children of the light, and so on. So there, now, now the, the instruction deepens. Therefore, the, the term then is un. It could be translated therefore. Look carefully, therefore, how you walk. I mean, if you are children of the light, 
you want to make sure you're walking wisely, not foolishly, or the way he puts it, not as unwise, but as wise. So quite, quite wonderfully and very helpfully, he, dis, he starts to talk about, and I'll pose a question here, it's as if he is asking, okay, rhetorically, well, then what does a wise walk look like? What would be the characteristics of a wise walk? And so I've itemized them out with numbers, and you will see there are three parts to it. Part one is making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Okay, there's the first characteristic of a wise walk. Now, let's think about this a little bit. I read from the ESV translation, so make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Um, now, is that, and I think it could be, is that a verse that we could use to begin to foster and think about time management? I think so. But honestly, I believe it's more than that. It isn't only managing our time. I mean, you all know, many of you have been in business or you're retired or maybe still are, whatever your vocation is or has been. I had to learn this very early, that if I do not manage, manage, learn how to manage my time and learn how to manage stress, I'm not going to be very effective. So both of those I had to learn, and I learned that pretty quickly. So it is part of that. But notice, I tried to flesh out a little bit, make the best use. The, the word there is from agarazzo, which can mean redeem. It's used in the New Testament of redemption. So some translations have this, redeem the time, which then takes a little bit, you got to step back and take a little larger view, take advantage of the time. So it isn't only what you do with the 24 hours of every day that we all have. Nobody has more or less than 24 hours. But it's more than that. Do you know how to not only manage your time, but do you know how to use your time wisely to redeem the time, to take advantage of the opportunities that that 24-hour block gives you every single day? That's in a much larger sense, and I believe applicationally, more of what Paul's really getting at here. It isn't only managing your 24 hours. It's also redeeming those 24 hours, taking advantage of those 24 hours. Each hour is important. So what are you doing with those hours? And because he adds that little phrase, because... So it's a, it's a reason, it's a causal statement of why you just take advantage, because the days are evil. And so, okay, the days are evil. That means we live in days that are evil. It isn't that that 24-hour block of time is evil. That's not what he means. But the days, the time in which we live, and every one of those hours, we can be lured away to do something that is unpleasing to God, that's as evil, or we can do something that's pleasing to God. Now, I mean, this opens up an enormous potential of many, many bunny trails. But he's saying something else to us. So let's approach it from a different angle. Everything God gives us is a stewardship responsibility. Our material blessings, our home, our car, etc., is a stewardship. God's given it to you. He's trusting you with it. Are you going to manage it well? Your, uh, your bank account, your portfolio, I mean, the same thing. But also your body. Your body is a gift from God. Are you a good steward of your body? So Paul is adding an additional layer to the stewardship concept of the Bible, Time is a stewardship. What are you doing with that? It's not only managing your 24 hours, it's also what are you doing in those 24 hours? How are you stewarding each hour? I've, I've read a couple of books by a man named Erwin McManus, and one of the things McManus in one of his books is he talks about those divine appointments, and it's from the angle of God being sovereign and providential in our lives 
He gives us appointments that we didn't accept. It's not on your schedule. It's not on your, your, your iPad. It's not on your phone's calendar, but it comes up. Okay, what are you going to do with that? If you believe God is sovereign, then this is not a coincidence. He has brought this person before you across your path, or this opportunity has come up. To me, this is what Paul's really talking about here. A person who is walking in a wise way is a person who takes the stewardship of time seriously. It's a person who not only manages his or her 24 hours wisely, but stewards those hours in both what you plan to do with your 24 hours, but also are you open to redeeming each opportunity that God brings across your path? And so as I, many years ago, as I began to understand that, and I tried to apply that in a way that I hadn't applied it up to that point in my life when I started walking with the Lord in 1972. So I hope this helps a little bit. I'm trying to get you to think a little more broadly than just time management as, as a principle. Time management is a principle of Scripture, but I think Paul's doing more than just that as he gives us instruction. So that's characteristic number one. Okay, any questions? Yeah, I sent somebody before us in, in, uh, with that's somewhat troubled or something, and we could share the word with that person or encourage them in some way like uh, we think that God would like us to do. That's right, Woody. That's exactly right. That's there, there, you're redeeming that opportunity. You're, you're taking advantage of that opportunity that God has brought across your path. That's exactly right. So it isn't only just managing those 24 hours each day. It's what are you doing with each opportunity that comes across your path in that 24-hour period? Yep, that's a good illustration. All right, if hearing nothing, let's move to the second uh, quality or characteristic of walking in a wise manner. Therefore, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So, another, <laughs> it, it sounds very simple, but yet it is a much deeper meaning to it. And so what I added, and you see it there on the slide, understand what the will of the Lord is. And I think I'm accurate in adding this to further explain what he means. I mean, when we see the will of the Lord, what do we mean when we say that? I would argue as revealed in God's Word. And so when you, um, when you think about that for just a second, there is a, there's a verse and I, I need to find it here. Give me a second. It's in First Thessalonians. Um, I am almost certain it's in chapter 4. Yes, here it is. Um, in, verse, in chapter 4 of First Thessalonians, verse 3, listen to this verse. Again, if you're want to write it down or you just want to remember it's first Thessalonians 4 verse 3 for this is the will of God your sanctification now I used to be you know I was in an academic ministry for a couple of decades three and a half decades almost and both here in Omaha and in Texas but um one of the questions I was asked many 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 times by young adults was I'm trying to figure out the will of God for my life. Uh, what, what is God's will for me? And uh, in many instances, I would say probably in the majority of them, it, the will of God for them was, should I marry this guy or this girl? Or of the ministry opportunities I have, I'm getting ready to graduate, uh, which one is the will of God for me? Well, they're very legitimate questions, and they're very legitimate things to, to be concerned about, because you do want to do the will of God in those areas. But, you know, I would respond to them somewhat facetiously. I would respond, you know, 96% of God's will for you is already revealed. Now, I have no idea. I just pulled that statistic out of thin air. I have no idea if that's accurate. But in a, in a sense, God's will for our life 
is already revealed. And so I look at that little verse there in verse 3 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul's very categorical there. The will of God is your sanctification. Now, we, you all know what that means, because we've talked about that a hundred times in this class over the years. And you know that's that process of the Heavenly Father conforming us into the image of His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how long does that take? What well, takes the rest of our lives? It's a process. Until the Lord comes for us, we go to be with Him. And so, okay, there's a big, big category. And the New Testament just has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of verses that describe for us what sanctification is in terms of its goals. And God's goals for you, you would think like the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitude, I mean, just on and on and on. And so what is in back of this characteristic of, of wisdom is, are you saturating your mind with the Word of God, which reveals the will of God for you. And that's what the psalmist does when you read the Psalms. That's what the psalmist is doing. He keeps, he's railing against God, he's upset, he doesn't understand what God is doing, etc., but he comes back to what he knows about God. And that builds his faith, his trust, and his confidence. How do you know what God is like? By spending time in His Word helps you discern what his will is. And so, to me, this is a very important reminder that a wise person is a person who saturates his or her mind with the things of God revealed in his word to discern the will of God. Now, the other areas where the will of God is important are in the non-moral areas of life. The moral and ethical areas of life are revealed in God's Word, and the major, major response you and I have for that is obedience. But in the non-moral areas of life, and I hope you know what I mean by that, that God has not specifically spoken to, it's not a choice between sin and obedience, it's a choice of wisdom. You have lots of options. Okay, there's a whole other area of investigation, but a wise person seeking the will of God in a non-moral area is going to seek wise counsel. In the counsel of many, there is much wisdom, the Proverbs say. In, in prayer and commitment to God, seeking God, God help me to clear away all of the things that are extraneous to this decision and see the consequences. And then as I've, you heard me talk about this last week, discernment, that Old Testament word means gaining insight into the consequences of your choices. And when you get to that point, I've done this a number of times in my life. Lord, this isn't a matter of sin. This isn't a decision between evil and righteousness. Both, All three of these options are good options. But Lord, I've investigated it. I've done my homework. I've sought the counsel of people I respect. I've, I've spent time in your word and in prayer. And Lord, it's time for me to make a decision. This is the decision I'm making. It seems wise. And if it's not, Lord, please stop me. To me, that again is that discipline of a wise walk. It keeps us from making impulsive decisions that are not discerning uh, discerning decisions, not wise decisions. And so all of that, I went down a bunny trail there, but I want you to see what a lot of what God's will for our lives is, is already revealed in his word. But in those non-moral areas, we still are to seek wisdom. And the, the wisdom literature of the Bible, the Proverbs, the Psalms, Ecclesiastes, has much to say about how we go about discerning God's will. All right, now there's a third characteristic of a wise walk, and that's in, in verse 18, and this was in the rest of the book of Ephesians. All right, now we've done two. Any questions on those first two? Because what I'm going to start now is going to take weeks for us to get through, because it's going to start verse 18 and going all the way through near the end of the book. Okay, any questions so, or comments or anything so far? Yeah, Jim, um, the, um, the Bible is a basis of our understanding of God and, and uh, what we are to do and refrain from doing. And, um, and I, you know, I always like the aspect that 
uh, he will not forsake us, and he sends the Comforter to help guide us through those difficult decisions or decisions to serve him and ways to serve him. Um, to me, can you comment on the the importance of that guidance? Because he said, I send the comforter to you. And um, it helps to make this book alive in our personal lives as well as we relate to other people. Don't, I mean, what, what's your thinking on that? Because you've, you've been involved in this personal ministry thing for many years. Many of us have. So what's your take on that? Well, that's what the next verse is all about, to be filled with the Spirit. But, I mean, the Spirit of God is, as I said earlier, uh, it's the Heavenly Father conforming to the image of His Son through the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is our comforter. But, I mean, even though the Holy Spirit is our comforter, that doesn't mean that He's going to whisper in our ear and tell us what to do. Right. That's your idea of the comforter. You have the wrong idea. Yeah. But the comforter, uh, and parakletos is the word for co- translate comforter, is one who comes alongside, and just as Jesus was the one who came alongside, and another one who came alongside, which is the Holy Spirit. And that role and function of the Holy Spirit is what he's going to be talking about in the next uh, uh, cluster okay, of, yeah. okay. the rest of the book. And so, I mean, I can answer your question, but the answer to your question, I'm going to go through the rest of the book. So, I mean, but I want to make sure that the term comforter is often misunderstood. He's not Jiminy Cricket, as in that Pinocchio Disney movie my kids used to watch, sitting on your shoulder and telling you what to do. That is not the spirit's role as a comforter. It's, it's much deeper than that. And even in the non-moral decisions of life, the Holy Spirit is not necessarily whispering in our ear telling us what to do. When you have a choice between three good options, he's not necessarily going to whisper in your ear as a comforter and tell you what to do. I think that's a misunderstood idea if people have that idea of the Holy Spirit's role. So in a sense, then, let's to, to partially answer his question, let's just look at the next verse. And again, I, I want to put this in the context of verse 15. A wise walk is a the walk of a believer who is taking advantage of every opportunity in a 24-hour block of time that God sends. You're redeeming the time. A person who is seeking the will of God and bringing your life into conformity with the will of God. And I think most of God's will for our life is already revealed in His Word. But then the third one is in verse 18. Now, notice how he does this. He states something negatively, to enhance the positive. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Now, you're in this the city of Ephesus, to whom Paul is writing this letter. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're in the city of Ephesus, and among other things in the city of Ephesus was a temple dedicated to the Greco-Roman god Dionysius. And the, the, what is associated with Dionysius was drinking of wine. And the festivals associated with this, uh, Dionysius were drunken orgies. And so if you're in Ephesus and he says, do not get drunk with wine, whether that's debauchery, you could walk outside your door and you could see people walking down the street that are being controlled by the alcoholic uh, content of the wine they're drinking. That's debauchery. And so nobody has any problem understanding that if you live in Ephesus. Oh, well, that can be applicationally relevant for you and me today in the United States. So what he does is, okay, a person like that is being controlled by the alcohol that's in the beverage you're drinking. Then you have the contrast. But don't be under the control of wine, which is a very common thing in Ephesus, and you see lots of people that are drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so that term filled, and that particular Greek term here, is in the present imperative. Now, I, I don't usually do grammar stuff, but this is really important. This is not a one-time act. Present imperative means it's ongoing. You could, you could legitimately 
paraphrase this, and be continually in the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because this is really, and I have a little note at the bottom of this slide, there is a difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. They are not the same thing in a believer's life. And, that, that, and it is really, really important you understand this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is what occurs, and Paul talks about this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are baptized into the church. Baptized means to identify with. The Greek word baptizo was used in the ancient world in the cloth industry. And you would take a, a I'll use an example, I have a white shirt on today, coincidentally, but I have a white polo shirt on. Okay, I would take this white polo shirt and dip it into a vat of purple dye. And I pull my white shirt out. Now what is it? It's purple. It is now identified with the purple. I baptizoed it. <laughs> Pardon my mixing of English and Greek words there. But I, it's now identified with purple. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he baptizes us into the church, 1 Corinthians 12. We're now identified with Jesus Christ and his body. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It occurs the moment you put your faith in Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit, that's a, it's in the aorist tense. It's, a once, it's, a, it's an act. It's a decisive act. Filling of the Spirit is not the same tense, and it's not, it's not the same uh, nuance. It's an ongoing, continuous filling. So when he says, be filled, his, his language is, be in the process of being continually filled with or by the Holy Spirit. That's very different than the baptism. And so we have to think about what does this mean? Because the term that is translated filling has very much the idea of being controlled. And that makes sense because of the analogy with wine in the first part of verse 18. A person who is drunk with wine is no longer exercising self-control. They're being controlled by the alcohol that's in that beverage. And so, in a sense, you could say somewhat humorously, they're out of control. So Paul says, don't be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be controlled by wine, but be controlled by the Spirit. Don't allow the alcohol content of wine to control you. You be controlled by the Spirit. So it is now, here you see the key, the key to sanctification the key to the walk of wisdom. Allow the Holy Spirit to develop his fruit in you. And so this slide, which um, uh, I think, uh, although I didn't check, but I think you got a, a, a revised packet of PowerPoint slides. And so it, I hope you did. And if you did, you have a copy of this. And the reason I like this, uh, I've, what I wrote the stuff at the top, the stuff at the bottom is from another source I use. But, okay, what does a spirit-controlled life look like? Be filled with, be in the process of being continuously filled. What does that look like? Well, before you and I became a Christian, before we are now in identified with Jesus and identified with his church and all the other 33 things that happened to us when we pressed Christ, we allowed the circumstances to control our life. Instead, you're allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life. All right. What is some evidence that the Holy Spirit is controlling your life? What are some evidence that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to control? What is some of the evidence that you are allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you, that you are making that decision of your will? Well, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, which is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And you know these, this is everybody been exposed to this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Please note number nine, self-control. And so it begins with love, ends with self-control, those nine qualities of life. And here, again, think, think of the process of sanctification, which we've talked about a thousand times in this class. 
But think of that process of sanctification, and you look back over, I just arbitrarily choose 10 years. You look back over the ten, last 10 years of your life, if you've been walking with the Lord. Do you see evidence of these fruit being manifested in your life? Yes, I do. And every one of you does. That's part of growth. That's part of spiritual growth. But there is nothing mystical about this. It really isn't. There's nothing that only a few elite people are filled with the Spirit. That is not what Paul's teaching here. This is to be the norm for the believer. A wise walk with Jesus Christ is a walk of sensitive to the stewardship of time, seeking God's will as revealed in his word, and making a decision of your will. Spirit, control my life. Develop in me your fruit. Give me the insight I need. On and on and on. It is a conscious, willful act. So it's, it, it's not mystical. It's an item of faith. There is, I used to, uh, I started doing this when I was in Pennsylvania, but I used to use little booklets that Bill Bright put out. And Bill Bright was the founder of Camp Crusade for Christ. He's been with the Lord for a long time. But Bright had little booklets called Transferable Concepts, and I used to use that in mentoring groups. But anyway, he in one of the little booklets, he drew a circle. Uh, it was in the booklet, but if, if I were here and I had the whiteboard, I'd draw a circle, and in the middle of that circle, I'd put a little chair. And every morning you and I wake up, that circle is our lives, and that chair represents who's running my life today. And you have a choice. You can put an I there, I'm running my life, or you can put Jesus. And if Jesus is running your life, that means I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of my emotions. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of my mind. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to take control of, of all the stewardship responsibilities I have before the Lord. And that that is something that you begin to learn to, and it doesn't mean you necessarily, okay, every morning you pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, you're now in control of my life. I'm kicking it in. Well, maybe you want to do that. But more importantly, you're just saying, Lord Jesus, this day is yours. Your spirit indwells me. I'm trusting you. I'm depending on you. To be filled with the spirit is to commit to a life of dependence not a life of autonomy, a life of dependence. Because I can't pull this off without Jesus and his indwelling Holy Spirit. I can't do it. I'm speaking there personally. That's my statement. And I suspect that if all of you are honest and transparent, you would say the same thing. So what Paul is beginning to, to argue here as the dimension of wisdom, the capstone of wisdom, is a person who is consciously committing to the proposition, I want to be controlled by the Spirit, not myself. I don't want circumstances to control me. I don't want to just be reacting. It is the Holy Spirit who is running the show, and I'm going to submit to him. I am consciously committing to a life of dependence. And, it, and it's, it's just, it's reminding ourselves, this is what a wise walk looks like. And when you read, although the, the Spirit's net title doesn't always come up, but when you read the Psalms, you see that's what the psalmist is learning. No matter what happens, no matter how they're, the psalmist is responding to difficulties or circumstances, etc., of life, they keep coming back to this proposition. God's in control. I'm not. And I, by faith, am submitting to him, because he knows the best for me. And you read the first psalm, Psalm 1, the, you know, it sets the agenda for all the psalms. What's the wise life look like? <laughs> it's, the wise life is the person who's choosing to you know, settle in by the streams of water, draw your spiritual nourishment, and to become you know, like a, a deep-seated, well-fed, nourished tree. 
that can stand against the difficulties of life. And so what Paul is saying here is consistent with so much of the biblical teaching up to this point, but he's connecting it with the language of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit. You're now his temple. Allow him to control your life. And that becomes the energizing power and enablement of the process of sanctification. All right, now, uh, what time is it? It's, oh, good night, it's 1230 already. So um, I've, I've done a lot of bunny trail stuff here with this filling of the Spirit, and I want you to make sure two things. Number one, that you understand the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. And number two, you understand the importance, and I don't usually do this, but it's important here, of the verb tense of filling. It's an ongoing, continuous thing. It's not once. It's an ongoing, continuous thing. And so that helps us, again, to to understand what I said a moment ago. This is beginning to help frame our understanding of what discipleship looks like, of what a life of dependence looks like, of what a life of allowing God to control my life, not me. Because when I'm in control, I make a mess of everything. And so he gives us then a tremendous it's a command, it's in the imperative mood, but it is helping us to understand this is what wisdom looks like. This is the capstone of wisdom. All right, any any questions? Was there anything I said that wasn't clear that you want me to go back over? We're going to be talking a lot more about that in the weeks to come, but I wanted to really try to nail this right away at, uh, as we started. <clears throat> is the present, um, is that a continuous and filled you said it was present imperative. Yes, it, 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 the present tense imperative. You know, present is the present is the tense. Right. Imperative is the mood. So it's mood. Imperative. So, and where's the continuous in it? Is it? Well, it's the the language is, uh, or the, the it's a continuous present. That there are many nuances to the present tense, and this nuance is a present continuous imperative. In other words, it isn't a want. If it were a, if it were an act that is just once, it right? Would, do it now. It would not be in the present tense. It would be in the aorist tense. Oh, I'll, I'm sorry. We're in Greek. Never mind. Okay, I got it. That doesn't mean anything to most of you, but I'm, I'm sharing you with the Greek language. But that it is present is it's continuous. This is really. That's why it's really really important. That's why I did it. It's really important to throw in the grammar here. And I apologize if I got a lot of you confused. I didn't want to get you confused. But at the same time, I just really want you to understand what Paul is saying here must be understood to get its full meaning grammatically. This is not a command you obey once. If that were the case, it would be aorist. It's a command that you continuously obey. And so it's continuous present. And so it's like I said, in effect, every morning you wake up and say, Lord Jesus, you're in control. I'm not. I have another question. Yes, please. <clears throat> um, they don't teach. They don't teach this. Uh, <laughs> they don't teach this like uh, at my church uh, using the phrase uh, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And um, but I believe in it. I believe that you present it really well, and I, I'm trying to uh, live that way. Uh, but uh, when you mentioned uh, the difference between the baptism of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit, and uh, so uh, when we give our life to Christ, to give your life to God, uh, that would be uh, the justification, right? That's correct. And are those words, I, I found I found the sanctification in that verse that you mentioned just a little while ago, and uh, I had not seen that before. And are the other two words, uh, justification and glorification in the Bible also? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Woody, uh, if you, you want to see, justification is all over the book of Romans. Okay. The thesis of the book of Romans is we are justified by faith. And the, the, the aspect of glorification is, uh, is also numerous times throughout the New Testament, in First Peter. So yes, I, and that's why I'm using those terms, Woody, because they're biblical terms. I didn't make those terms up. They're biblical terms. 
that are, are used in the Bible, and it helps us to understand, and you do understand it because you've, you've paraphrased it and stated it a number of times. You do understand the difference between those three. And so as we're, we're working through that, it is very clear that this material that Paul's talking about is about sanctification. Paul is not explaining. But I, I, uh, you know, they don't, they don't use those three words very often in my church. <laughs> but I, they, they teach the word, but they, they don't focus on those three. Well, but Woody, that's why you're in this class to make sure that it's clear to you. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. And, this is uh, the, this is this is part of your divine appointment. All right, and you that remember you, that uh, same year, <laughs> same year that you gave your life to the Lord. I uh, I got sober, and uh, oh, it's that right? Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, nineteen seventy. Well, you and I share an important anniversary then. Yeah, and I uh, I, uh, I I uh, didn't live uh, <laughs> I didn't live that uh, right kind of life before I found AA. But, uh, and, and maybe even after, and it's only, it's only uh, beginning now. Thank you. Event. Well, uh, uh, praise the Lord for the miracle of grace that he's performed in your life. That's for sure. Any other questions or thoughts before, you know, I, I'm down to now about 12 minutes, but I want to um, get move forward here if I can. Um, just uh, quickly, I just wanted to uh, thank you for the, the insight because a lot of people what they when you ask about um you know what is god's will they take you right back to the bible kind of like kind of a glib answer all the answers are in there yeah but uh, unless you want to get into numerology and bible codes and stuff there's nothing with my name on it so it's like well this is the general structure but where's the application and one of the things that i thought was really important is where you said in the wisdom of many counselors, right? So the, the sanctification will lead you to wiser decisions as you are conformed more into the life of Christ. But you know, whether you have to whatever degree you have that, you're bolstered or supplemented by the fact that you can talk to others right. that are further along, if you will. And that's the value of the church, which is the body of believers. We're right. in that body of believers. And it ties both concepts together. Right? Yeah, yeah. Really, the answers are there. If you didn't, if you haven't been sanctified for 20 years, let me borrow, you know, get a, a lot of counselors so that you get rid of this, you know, That's you why, average out the sin thing. It's wise for young married couples to spend time with people married for 20 years. That doesn't happen very often, but that's that's wise. It's 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 wise for someone who's just come to know Christ to spend six months being discipled or mentored, I, I would argue much longer than that, but to be mentored by someone, because you are now beginning a whole new life. You've come to faith in Christ. You're transformed. You're a new creation. But what does that mean? Well, it's going to take you the rest of your life to understand what that means. But that's that. This is the marvelous. This is what Woody has. Woody's gotten this because he keeps saying it to me, that sanctification is the process. Justification is the event. But if you keep that straight, that's all. That's what's in Paul's writings. But if you keep that straight, then you really understand what God is doing. I'm secure in my justification. Why am I still struggling? Because of the process of sanctification. And so God gives us the gift of other believers. As, as I quoted from Proverbs, in the counsel of many, there's lots of wisdom. I seek the counsel of people. When I have to make a major decision, I'm an idiot. Again, I'm talking about a non-moral decision. We're never to struggle. Should I steal? Should I lie? That's You don't struggle with that. God has told you, don't do that. So your only acceptable response to that is, is to obey. But when you're dealing with major issues in your life, you seek the counsel of other people. And that's wise. That's a good thing to do. And that's the wonderful gift of God. And the Holy Spirit will direct us to the right people to give us the right counsel. And then you, you can, I mean, that's, I'm getting way off in a sense, but maybe I'm not. It's just, when I've taught decision-making the will of God, I've taught a whole section on this uh, in one of my classes years ago. But anyway, I always break decision-making into two categories. The decision-making of responding to God's revealed will 
There's only one acceptable response to that, obedience. But in the non-moral areas of life, we have tremendous freedom. It's what the Bible calls Christian liberty. But to choose what is wise, now the question is, what is wise for me? And it requires understanding, wisdom, discretion, discernment, all those Old Testament words that are in the book of Proverbs. And so then, oh, and the gift of other people who can help give you, as the Holy Spirit is over and superintendent, it's a marvelous thing that God is doing for us. And so that's what Paul is getting at here. And so uh, where, where are we at time? Let, look at the next part of verse 18, or rather uh, into verse 19, 20, and 21. Let's see if we can do this this morning. And so Paul says there are three results that immediately you see. Addressing one another in or with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. So verse 19 is about worship and the interpersonal relationship with other believers in worship. And it's really interesting, I know you don't have the time to do this, but it's really interesting to do a word study of the term psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. There are three different categories of worship and singing. The psalms, it just that's 150 psalms that are in this, the Old Testament book, the Psalter, the Psalm. That was the hymn book of ancient Israel. And the early church sang these psalms. The hymns were, just think of what a hymn is today. You have lyrics, and then you have the music. And these would be very much focused on doctrinal truth. A way to communicate doctrine, a way to communicate theology is through hymns. The lyrics that make up the hymns we sing. Then the spiritual songs, Today, in 21st century, you and I would call that contemporary music. These would be not necessarily communicating deep theology. It's, what it's doing is it's uplifting, it's stirring, it's emotionally engaging, and you're worshiping. And that's why, and this is not wrong to do this, some people raise their hands as they're, they're singing, some people clap. That's okay. There's no, I mean, when you go back and study what the worship services of, of ancient Israel, they were loud. When they dedicated the wall in Nehemiah, they could hear them for a mile and a half to two miles as they sang and praised to God. And so it's just interesting, Paul chooses those three terms. And it, each, each one has a specific nuance to it of what worship with one another as you're addressing and encouraging and ministering to one another, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Music is a fantastic gift from God. He's the one who authored music. He's the one who created music. It tells us the angels sang when God created everything. And so now we, as his image bearers, engage in that. It's focused to God, but it's also encouraging to one another. The second result is thankfulness, a thankful spirit giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, this is something my wife has taught me this more than any other individual on planet Earth. To be thankful to God for everything that we have and everything that we're able to do and everything that comes across our path. A thankful spirit. If you believe God is sovereign and his providence is real, then there's no... I hope you, I hope you don't... This, Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, I hope you don't disagree with this, but in the very real, that was my wife's phone, and she forgot to take it out of the room. So please be gracious to her, because uh, she's interrupted my thought by not, I forget what I was going to say. Um, oh, that you don't disagree with me on this. For a believer, there's really no such thing as a coincidence. Now, I'm going to leave that for you to think about and meditate upon it, but just think about that for a minute. But if that's true, Corey Ten Boom used to, say, used to say, nothing happens to us which is not first filtered through the hands of our loving God. 
again, you have to think about, and there's a woman, if you know anything about her testimony, her life, she's an extraordinary woman. She's been with the Lord for a number of years now. But you have to think about that. Therefore, if you believe that, then a thankful spirit is the natural response. But please note, this is one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. Because you and I are not naturally like that. We're not naturally thankful for everything. But under the Spirit's control, we will. And then finally, and I'm going to stop with this. I want to introduce a couple of things we're going to do with this in the coming weeks. But thirdly is in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What I'm going to argue, and I'll start this next week, is the Christian's life is a life of submission. And here you see this, it's an extraordinary statement. <laughs> you submit to one another. And we have to talk, we'll talk about that next week, but exactly what does that mean? But it, you begin to start to see, oh, okay, now wait a minute. My, my life now that I'm under, I, I've been justified, I'm, 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 I'm secure in my position with Christ, I've been declared righteous, I'm now in the process of sanctification, with the Father conforming us to the image of His Son through the Holy Spirit, I'm now under His control, which means now I'm no longer a rebel. Rebellion does not characterize me, because sin, by its nature, is rebellion against God. Not any longer. And God has set up all kinds of spheres of authority, and God is interested in us submitting to Him, submitting to government, submitting to our church leaders, submitting to one another, and then submission in the various relationships of life, which is what the next um, several paragraphs following in Ephesians 5 into Ephesians 6 are all about. And so a, a, a lifestyle of submission becomes an extraordinary, an extraordinary call upon our lives, but again, it flows out of being under the control of the Spirit. So next week, I want to talk about that, this item of submission, and it's going to then flow into the relationships in marriage between a husband and wife. And then we're going to spend two weeks on that. And then when we're done with that, submission in parent-child relationships. And then when we're done with that, submission in employer-employee relationships. So you can start to see, central to Paul's argument is, being under the Spirit's control transforms every area of our life, which is his whole point. So tomorrow we'll pick up with a, a, a more of a discussion about, I don't mean tomorrow, I mean next Wednesday, we'll pick up with more of a, a discussion about this concept of submission and how that immediately transfers into verse 22 into the role relationships in marriage. So um, anyway, okay. I mean, this is a fantastic way to cap off the book. As Paul, sound doctrine produces godly living. This last item, the walk of wisdom, is really the heart of the transformational work of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives as we allow him to control our lives. Got it? Got it. All right. I saw thumbs up and I heard Glenn say got it. So that means you got it. All right. We'll pick up with that next week. It's a little bit past a quarter of I'm going to pray and I'll let you go. And I, I've got to get going to my next uh, my next meeting. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the, the wonderful, wonderful Word of God. It lifts us up and encourages us and instructs us and motivates us. And we thank you that this wonderful teaching of Paul on the walk of wisdom, what does a wise person look like? It's a person who stewards time and all the opportunities it brings. A person who is very serious about discerning your will, your revealed will but also learning the discipline of, Lord, how do I discern your will in non-moral areas of life, where it's not a choice between sin and righteousness. It's between several good choices. Lord, how do I choose? These are all things that the Word of God helps us to learn, understanding, wisdom, discernment, discretion, prudence, those wisdom words which helps us to decide in non-moral areas of life. And then, in a sense, most importantly, 
to be in that process of being under the Spirit's control day after day after day. This is the key to sanctification. This is the key to transformation. Lord, help us to understand this. Help us to apply it. Help us to live it. Thank you for each one of these men. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Thank you for how you are in the process of transforming them and all that you've done and continue to do. Each one is a trophy of your grace. Help them in applying all this and thinking about this in their own personal lives. And where changes need to be made, enable them to make those changes for your glory. Watch over them. You know each one of the areas, whether there are needs, whether there are particular struggles, whether there are, there are physical struggles or emotional struggles or financial struggles or spiritual struggles. Meet each one of those needs according to your perfect will. Commit each one to you to be strong men of faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, man, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Have a good week. Thank you, Jim.